You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Amen. Well, hey, uh, this morning we're starting our series, uh, The Family Tree, talking about how Jesus' family tree shows that Christmas is for everyone. It's going to be a great series to invite your friends to. If this is your first time at Banner Church, you came in a great time. You're like, thank goodness they're not talking about giving, you know, all those things that you enjoy. Um, we actually have people get saved during a giving series, so, you know, come during that. It's great. But uh, we're going to be talking today uh, in Matthew 1. So if you brought your Bible, crack that open to Matthew chapter 1. There's a page in your Bible that says the New Testament, and it's right after that. So Matthew chapter 1. And I want to read this uh, together, and it starts like this, Matthew 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The verses are on the screen, too. But it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you're with us, Exodus start this way. Now Matthew starts this way. It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zaar by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. We'll come back to that. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. We'll talk about that too. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. If you're still with me, say amen. I know that was so moving. Everyone's ready just to run, flock to the altar. Uh, but we'll keep going. Maybe, maybe it'll stir something. Here we go. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Woo! I'm barely still with me, so if you're still with me, you're doing better than me. Um, just be thinking we don't have to pronounce all these names from stage. All right, anyone ready? Just recommit your life? Good? No? Okay, we'll, we'll go. <laughs> After the deportation to Babylon, this is when the names get really weird. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. If you're having a child, you must name them Zerubbabel now because it's amazing. Just say, everyone say Zerubbabel. Ooh, it feels good, right? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abayud, and Abayud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of who? Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Oh, my goodness. Did you make it? Everyone made it? That's a lot. You're like, what is the point of reading all these names? I'm going to tell you the point uh, in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about my Thanksgiving because I thought it was pretty cool. Um... I, I really enjoyed Thanksgiving this year. 
uh, it was crazy because, again, I'm an only child and, uh, you know, been an only child my whole life. I, I think it's a good chance I'm going to stay an only child and just knowing how life works. And so it, we, we always went to my family's house, lots of random cousins all over. And uh, But as we moved here, we've really been uh, just like a place in my parents' house, especially been a place where if you don't have somewhere to go for Thanksgiving, you come to our house. And I love that because I love celebrating with people. And, you know, afterwards I have to spend like a day in silence. But I love to celebrate with people and to do fun things with people. And so in our house we had all these people. And as, my, as I've gotten older, I've realized something about family even deeper is that when you're young, you think family is just by blood, like a shared ancestor or by marriage. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that family can be so much greater than just people who are by blood or people who are by marriage, right? And when I looked around on Thanksgiving, I realized all these people that I'm not related to in any sense except for five of them, and I begin to think about how we are not united by the blood of an ancestor. We're united by the blood of Jesus, and I thought that was pretty cool as I looked at this group of people that I consider my family. These are just like ride or die people in my life that I love, that I would do anything for, that I call my brothers and my sisters. And I looked at, you know, this chosen family, different backgrounds, different parents, different social status, different economic status, different biases, different past, different understandings. And I thought, man, it's amazing how though we share no common ancestor potentially, except for way, 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 way back that we are all united together, that we all serve, love, rejoice, support, stand for one another. And I love looking at that, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, and thinking that this family that God is building is for everybody, not just for a certain bloodline, but for all kinds of people united by the blood of Jesus. And when we look at Christmas, the theme that stands out is we look at the genealogy of, of Jesus, and it seems like the most unlikely place that you would find a Christmas series is in this long, dumb list of names. But it's actually beautiful because what we see is that Christmas is for everyone and that the family of Jesus is for everyone and that since the beginning of time, God has been calling to his children to come home. Come home to his family. And when we look at the family tree of Jesus, we see all these people were in all these instances and in all these situations that seem so outside of the norm, and yet God is calling to his people to come home. And I think that in a lot of Christmas, that's what everybody wants. They want in to something, into family, into relationship, into community, uh, in, into health, into something healthy and good. And yet I think all the time, especially when it comes to the Lord, is that we feel like outsiders because of what we consider our uh, excluding factors. Right? There's lots of reasons we feel like we, we're probably excluded from the promise of God and the purpose of God and, and, and the great things of God. Or we're excluded from the family of God, you know, maybe because of our past or because of pain or hurt or things done to us or shame or things that we personally have done, mistakes that we've made. We feel somehow on the outside. And yet when we read the genealogy in Matthew, what if you break down all these names, what you realize is this genealogy is full of those people. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is full of murderers, cheats, and prostitutes. And it makes me feel really good about myself, personally. <laughs> right? Because we act like I'm so messy, I must be on the outside of the potential and promise of God for my life. 
And yet what we see consistently in the genealogy is that his family tree is full of the messiest people you could write up in history. And yet God is constantly welcoming them in to his family. Constantly welcoming them in to himself and saying Christmas is for everyone. That's why it's a family tree because we're all grafted in. And so we look at it in Matthew 1, if you're still there, it all basically centers around David. Verse 6 says, Jesse, the father of David, the king. Verse 1 told us Jesus Christ, the son of David. He's not obviously the literal immediate son, but through the genealogy, the son of David. And in Scripture, the promise of the Messiah was always going to come through David. So whereas in Luke, we, we get the human genealogy, the birth genealogy of Jesus. Here in Matthew, what we're getting is the legal genealogy. When we read Exodus, it started with the genealogy, which are not like flashy kind of things, but are important things in proving that you're part of the promise. So in Exodus 1, talked about a genealogy. Matthew 1 is making a legal genealogy, and it's setting the case for Mary's birth of the Messiah. But what I find amazing is that he includes four women here who are unnecessary legal additions. Matthew includes four women that are actually an anti-help. They are unhelpful for making the legal case for the birth of Jesus. Because if you were trying to show that there was a continual lineage in Jewish history, you wouldn't pick people who are pagan outsiders, prostitutes, and murderers, right? You wouldn't put, pick people that were on the outskirts. And yet that's exactly who Matthew includes. He includes women who are sometimes foreign, who have questionable pasts and questionable pregnancies, who have suffered some kind of shame or abuse, who are living with that shame. And Matthew specifically picks these four women. And at the time, you, can't, you need two women to make a legal case. So an illegal authority putting these women in at the time was uh, controversial, to say the least. But Matthew, Jesus, our, and our Lord, right, Jesus values women, but they put him in here for a very specific reason. It's to show that Jesus ignores the human labels of what is legitimate or illegitimate. That Jesus ignores the labels of if someone has a legitimate identity, a legitimate purpose, or an illegitimate purpose, if they are qualified or disqualified. Jesus ignores what the world says is legitimate or illegitimate and instead says the gospel is for everyone. That Christmas is for everyone. That he takes the people that society would say, you know what, you should avoid. He then celebrates them and shows how they're part of the promise. And one of the people that he does this with, if you look at uh, verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, who's a famous person, by Rahab. Rahab is, is who we're going to look at today. And to me, if you look at Rahab, you would definitely say Christmas is for everybody. So we're going to be in Joshua 2. So if you brought your Bible, you can flick back to Joshua 2. And if you were with us for the Exodus series, basically the people have come out of Egypt. They are now going to the promised land. They come upon Jericho. And Joshua sends spies. Obviously, we just skipped it ton of history, but Joshua sends spies in to Jericho. They've sent spies before. It didn't go super great. They had to wander the desert for 40 years. So here they are again. They're sending spies and to discover. And so they send spies into this land of the Canaanites, and that's where we pick up in Joshua 2, verse 1. If you're there or it's on the screen, say amen. It's not quite on the screen, but it will be. Joshua 2.1, And Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim. I didn't write that. That's the name. As spies sang, 
Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out in order in the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the men come to spy on Jericho because they're going to come into the city. They're trying to get intel. And when they come in to spy, uh, they're they're not uh, there to see prostitutes, but they come into Rahab's home, which in the language is more like a brothel. So basically the spies come to hide in the lowest place where you would not expect to look for them. And when they come in, they encounter someone named Rahab. And what's amazing is that scripture doesn't say, yes, this is Rahab who also happens to be a prostitute. It gives her a clear identifier and then kind of her name secondary, which is they meet a prostitute who happens to be Rahab. So they're clearly establishing her um, main identifier culturally. Does that make sense? Like the thing that would have been known about her, they're establishing. And Rahab would have been well known in that culture as a prostitute. And not only that, but in the culture, there would, have been, uh, um, there would have been shame. There would have been a sense of being an outsider. You would have been, even in that culture, uh, cast aside. You would have been separate from other people. So there was a sense of otherness already within her. There was a sense of being different, being other. And what's amazing is if you were to tell the Jewish people when they came out of Israel, hey, you're going to come out of Israel in 40 years. You know who's going to be crucial to the lineage of the Savior is going to be a Canaanite prostitute. They would have laughed at you in the face, (laughs) right? Because there is no Jewish person on the face of the earth at that moment that thought, you know who's going to bring about the Messiah? Canaanite prostitute, a foreigner that God told us to stay away from, like the lowest class of that person. That is who Jesus, you know, that's who the, the Savior, they don't know it's Jesus, but that's who the Savior is going to come through. Like, there's no way they're thinking that's how the promise is going to be fulfilled. But what I love about the genealogy of Christ is it shows us that your past does not exclude you from the promise. This is so important. Is the Bible is explicit about Rahab's past. And her past, turns out, is kind of actually her present. Because I didn't tell she switched jobs. Right? It wasn't like, and then, you know, she got, she changed, and now she sells fish. Like, right? It's, it's distinct that this is who she is. She is an outsider. She is impure. There is a shame. Again, this is the cultural norm at the time, right? This is how she would have been seen. It doesn't try to hide it, right? We're the only one that tried to hide our past. The Bible does not hide people's past because the Bible is about transformation, and so the Bible is saying, listen, we're not trying to hide it, dress it up. We're not putting a bow on it. There is a prostitute named Rahab, and yet she is in the line of Christ because of her faith. Think about that. There is nothing in your past that excludes you from the promise of God. 
Here Rahab is, a foreigner, an outsider, an unwanted person, acting fully on faith in God. There is no Bible for her to read. There is no Bible app for her to download. There is no, like, scripture for her to go find. There's no small group for her to attend, right? This is fully her. I heard about God. I've received a revelation in my life, and I'm going to let that change the way I act. James 2.25 says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, like they don't just call her Rahab, no matter where in scripture, Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is important. He's not saying her faith is uh, justified by works in the sense of that's how she earned salvation here. He's saying, listen, did not Rahab show that her faith was true by acting in a way that shows she has faith. Are you with me? So that Rahab is responding. Think about this. This is fully in the lineage of Christ. Can you imagine that? It's like, oh yeah, my great, uh, you know, down the line, let's say you were a part of the lineage of Christ. Like, yeah, my grandson, it's Jesus. Like, no, I mean, this is a big deal, right? Like the Messiah of the earth. Here is somebody who was in the lineage, who was an outsider, who was cast aside, who had a past, who had a known past. And yet God's saying, listen, I'm not just bringing you into the Jewish people. I'm putting you in the lineage of Christ. Not because of your pedigree, but because of my promise that you have acted in through faith. Can I tell you, I love that because you might have the deepest, darkest shame and most bruised and abused past, and yet you are not excluded from the promise of God. Not because what you have done, not because what someone has done to you, that is part of your story, and yet it is not the ending of your story because God redeems and can redeem your story and use it to be a part of the promise that he wants to bring about is that Jesus welcomes you into his family. You say, I, I don't know because I have this or I've done this or this has been done, and Jesus is just standing there, arms open, saying, listen, if it didn't disqualify Rahab, it doesn't disqualify you. Come home. Joshua 2, let's keep going, verse 8. It says, before the men lay down, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, this is important. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God. Is, is your Lord right there capitalized? Anyone else? Cool. Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, uh, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I love verse 11. She says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit. And she says this, For the Lord, all caps, your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth below. I love it because not only has Rahab acted in faith, but here she makes a declaration of faith. Did you know that, that a declaration of faith is kind of an important thing in our life? 
She makes a, a powerful statement for a couple reasons. One is that she affirms that Israel's God has dominion over the realms of earth and, and heaven and, and below. That's a powerful statement because she's living in a city where there is a very clear religious structure. And so in this moment, she was saying, all of these things that I've worshipped, all these gods that I've worshipped, actually your God has power over all those realms, has dominion. She's rejecting an entire religious history because of the Lord that she's heard about. She's rejecting everything she grew up with. She's rejecting the identity of her culture of Baal and Asherah and these sacrifices and this evil that she has inherited. She's rejecting that saying, you know what? I've been told by everyone that, that the power belongs to them, but I know that the power belongs to you. And not only that, but she declares that the Lord, all caps. Have you ever wondered why sometimes you read the Lord and it's all caps? That's because they're marking the proper name of God in Hebrew, Yahweh. This is, this is kind of important. I think there's a difference between saying uh, a person is strong and saying uh, Casey is strong. There's a difference. I'm declaring something very specific about what I know about somebody. He's very strong. Uh, but this is the same thing. She's not saying there is a God who's strong. She's saying, listen, Baal, Asherah, uh, Marduk, Ishtar, uh, all these Babylonian gods, Canaanite gods. Listen, it is Yahweh, his proper personal name who is God, not these other personal gods, not some, not some collection of stardust or identities or accidental creation of matter. He's saying, listen, there is a God. His name is Yahweh, and he is powerful. And I think it's important, too, because not only does she declare that Yahweh is God, but she declares that Yahweh is the only God to be worshipped. In the phrase, in heavens above and earth below, it, uh, he, she says that in verse 11 there, in heavens above and earth below. That phrase is only found three times preceding in scripture, and each time it's, it is a context that affirms that God is the only one who deserves the worship. Did you know that's part of an affirmation of faith? I will worship you, Lord, not some Lord, you, Lord, Yahweh, and no one else. Exodus 24, one of the places it's found before this says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath. See, Rahab's statement of faith is amazing, right? She didn't, like, see this tweeted. She didn't get this on Facebook. She didn't inherit this from a family. She got a revelation of who God is. She received this. Now, all of a sudden, she's responding and saying, Listen, Yahweh, you are the only one worthy of me worshiping with my whole life. Because you are God, I'm calling on you to save me. Right? She's not just calling on God to save her because he's some God, he's some whatever, and she hopes to be saved. She's saying, Listen, you are the God. You are the only God to be worshiped. And since you are the only God who can be worshiped, worship, the logical conclusion is if I need a God to save me, it has to be the only God that actually is. And so, God, I need you to save me. And when we look to the genealogy of Christ, when we look at Rahab, the thing that is so powerful and cons consistently should pop out is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone say everyone. So is it someone or is it Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Helped? No, saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Romans 10, if you, if you like scripture or if you don't like scripture, Romans 10 is a great piece of scripture to read. Verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Some, someone needs to hear that again. Just This is for you this morning. Everyone who believes in him, the Lord, Yahweh, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, say everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Say saved. See, Rahab is not saved because she earned it. When we talk about Rahab's faith in works, it's saying she's not saved because of works. It was just her works so obviously reflected her faith. The hope of your life should be that the things you do reflect the God that you claim has changed your life. Because if God has changed your life, but you still act in the old life, then you might be full of crap. And it turns out you need to have God transform your life and begin the road of sanctification and say, at least in the way I'm choosing to follow you. I'm not perfect. I have not figured it out. I don't know the answers. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to trip. I fall on my face daily. Anyone else? Great. Yes. All of us. But there's something inside of me that says, if I call on the Lord in faith, I will be saved for eternity. And that's the thing about Jesus' family tree. is as we look at Rahab, an outsider, an outcast, an unwanted person, an excluded person, is in the lineage of Christ is part of the promise. Not because of her pedigree, not because of what she knows, not because of what she does, but because she declares Jesus, or she declares God, Yahweh, Lord, I need you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call? I mean declare in faith. For us, it's Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Right? I mean, did Rahab, she hadn't like read up on a Bible study. She didn't download the Bible app, do a Bible study, learn some things. She didn't like go to small group. She didn't like, you know, go to a preaching class. She didn't go to seminary. What did she do? She's really like, man, you know, it sounds like the Lord is the right way. I'm giving my life to him. Isn't that amazing that we don't have to be like all fixed and solved before we choose to follow the Lord? Anyone happy about that today? Like, amen. Like, where it's like, thank goodness, amen, where it's like, God, I, I, I'm going to step out in faith here and say, you are Yahweh, Yahweh, you are Lord. It's not all the rich people who call on the Lord will be saved. It's not all the people who grew up in church who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not all the people who look really good on Instagram who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. How, how can you say Christmas is for everyone? Well, because it turns out everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And guess who the Lord sent so that we might be saved? Jesus. And when did he send him? Christmas. That's why Christmas is for everybody. If God did not exclude you, I'm definitely not going to. Everyone who calls on the name, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your shame, Regardless of what's been done to you, regardless of what's been spoken over you, regardless of uh, the attitudes, accidents, regardless of the hurts, regardless of the habits that you've come in with, it doesn't matter. Everyone who calls on God, who makes a declaration of faith, will be saved. Who wants to hear how it ends? Anyone? Cool, great. Let's do it. Uh, 
Joshua 2.15, it says this. If you're there, say amen. It says, she led them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. She's pretty smart. She knows how things work. She's probably seen a lot of soldiers. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord. Okay, this moment is like when you're watching a movie and they say the title to the movie in the movie. Like, this is a mission impossible. And you're like, eh. Okay, underline this if you underline things in the Bible. Because this is like the subtext of the Bible, the scarlet cord. It says this, you will tie a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. If you were here in Exodus, this might kind of sound familiar. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They come into the land, city falls, they find her, they bring her out, bring her family into the tribe. She marries in, she becomes the mother of Boaz, who is a central figure in the salvation of the people of Israel. And the continuation of the promise. Think about that. And she was marked to be saved by a scarlet cord. The symbolism is not accidental. God is not like making the Bible up and then going back and be like, oh man, that's cool how those things all fit together. Right? Like, like, oh, that's crazy. Like, do you feel like we talk a little too much about blood in this book? Like, I don't know, it'll be fine. But there's a continuation of this idea, the scarlet cord. We would say the scarlet thread. There's a biblical, biblical consistency about tying into the promise. See, Tamar, I mentioned there was other women who were outsiders, who dealt with shame, who would traditionally be avoided when creating a lineage. See, that would be Tamar, and yet Tamar's included. Interestingly enough, when Tamar's child's born, she ties a scarlet cord, same phrasing, on her son's leg to symbolize their part of the promise. Exodus 12, when they marked the doors, and we talked about the plague, the Exodus, the symbol that they would pass over was scarlet, was blood over the doorway, so that when the angel of death come, he would know everyone in this house is saved. The same thing is true about the scarlet cord. It was a marker of this person has been saved by their faith, that they are a part of the family. There's symbolic consistency. And this is what's amazing. If you read the Bible, from the very beginning, when God promises, though Adam and Eve have sinned, he promises Eve from you will come, the offspring who will crush Satan under your heel. There is a scarlet thread, as we call it, all throughout Scripture that leads to Jesus Christ. That stands as the symbol where his blood as scarlet on the cross stands symbolically that through his death and resurrection, though we were in judgment, though we have a sin and a debt, that death will instead pass over us and that we will be saved. From the beginning, there's been this promise. And this year at Christmas, hear me say, For every person, regardless of your past, for every person, regardless of your shame, the scarlet thread of Jesus Christ ties you into his family. 
The scarlet thread ties you to the family of Jesus. You're like, what is it that binds me to Jesus' family? Why am I in his family? Like, I, I don't have, you know, heavy Jewish ancestry. I don't, I don't know if I'm part of the promise. Like, no, we're, you're not. But you are because of the scarlet thread that ties you to Jesus' family. See, you and I, we had a weight of sin on our life. Where we are outside the good and perfect will of God because of our sin and our shame. And yet Jesus came to earth on Christmas. Why we celebrate? So that he might live a perfect life, be the spotless lamb that would be sacrificed, that his blood as scarlet would be the symbol for us that we're saved. That when death comes for us, it actually passes over because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul tells us, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here's the amazing thing. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot solve it. You cannot fix it. You can only find it. And that is the scarlet cord that from the beginning of time has tied together the promise that Jesus came to fulfill, that before you were even a thought in someone's mind, Jesus had set and God had set in motion to die for you to pay for your sins. That God loved you so much that from the beginning he has preserved a promise that you are part of the family of God, that you receive the freedom that comes from God, that you receive the welcome that he has called to you from the beginning of time, come home. And you say, I I'm, too, I'm too dirty, I'm too broken. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know what's been done to me. And God says, yeah, you're kind of the same people that are my ancestors. If you're messy, then you are so similar to the ancestors of Jesus. Jesus is great, 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 times, 10 more. Grandmother was a prostitute for a foreign nation and if she's in the lineage of Christ why are you excluded you're not Jesus is calling throughout history and showing us these people in Matthew listen though you feel like an outsider you are a part of the family of Jesus Christmas is for everyone I'm gonna invite our band up this morning as our band comes up I want to read you the scripture one more time because I wanted to sit with us Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Hear me this morning. Christmas is for everyone. The family of God is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. But most importantly, Christmas is for you. The family of God is for you. Jesus is for you. And many of you this morning, I feel like God is just calling and calling today to say, I, I, maybe someone's hurt you. Maybe someone's damaged you. Maybe, maybe your own family. It's hard for you to even get this idea of the family of God because family has been a damaging, not an enhancing part of your life. 
And yet in this moment, I just believe God wants to heal that and mend that in your heart and your spirit and just tell you, listen, you're not coming home to people. You're not coming home to a place. You're coming home to Jesus. You're coming home to the love of Jesus. You're coming home to the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus from the beginning of time says, listen, I love messy people. And I always open arm, welcome them home. I think of the Samaritan woman all the time. Culturally, Jesus should have never talked to her. Socially, he should have never met with her. All the norms of the day say, Jesus, you cannot be with this person. All the religious people, even his own disciples, are like, man, what are you doing? And Jesus says, oh, she just reminds me of my family. Because these are my people. These are the ones that I came for. Those that make a declaration of faith and it transforms their life. And though they've been hurt and abused and cast aside in the family of God, they're welcomed in. Not to sit on the sidelines, but you're in the game. You're in with the Lord, walking with him, not expected to be perfect, just a part of the promise. Would you stand with me this morning? As you're standing, we're going to do two things. I want to offer a chance for you to respond through prayer. And then in just a second, uh, not yet, but in just a second, I'll call our ushers forward. But we're going to receive communion in just a moment. But first, with our eyes closed and our head bowed this morning, as you've heard me say, Christmas is for everyone. you've heard me say, the family of Jesus is for everyone. You in this moment, maybe you've never experienced that or you just feel so distant from a relationship with Jesus. And as you're hearing the story of Rahab, you're like, you know what? I want to come home to Jesus. I want to come home to Jesus. That's you in this place. And this morning, you want to make that declaration of faith and declare, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I choose to follow you. Like Rahab, you know I don't have all the answers. Like Rahab, you know my current position. Like Rahab, you see me, and you see everything I'm working through right now that I don't know the details, and I don't know how to get through it. Like Rahab, I don't have, you know, every uh, theological answer. But right now, I know, Jesus, that I need you in my life, and so I'm going to make a commitment this morning to just press into you. And to come home to you, Jesus, where I was meant to be, the love I was meant to receive, the hope I was meant to have. If that's you this morning and for the first time or again, if you need to, you're just going to make that commitment to follow Jesus with your life. With every eye closed and every head bowed, would you lift your hand for me this morning? Thank you. Thank you. You can put it down once you lift it up. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Uh, before you receive communion, and I love that because you're going to receive communion as a reflection and re a response to the actual blood of Jesus that covers your sins and the new life that you're beginning. And the great thing I want you to hear if you're one of those people that raised your hand this morning is that if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. I want to pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for those who raised their hand in this moment. And God, all across this room, there's a decision being made and every person is saying Jesus I choose to follow you I don't know what the next step looks like but God I know I'm pressing into you in this moment I'm pursuing after you in this moment and I say Jesus I want to serve you I want to worship you I want to follow you and I pray for every person that made that commitment as they walk this journey with you Jesus I pray you would strengthen them I pray you would encourage them I pray you would just give them a deeper revelation of how much you love them 
and how precious they are to you and how dear they are to you. God, so we commit this to you and we thank you this morning that there are those who are coming home to you, not just now, but for all eternity, to spend eternity with you, home in heaven, celebrating with you. There is no pain, there is no hurt, there is just celebrating with the most high God. So we thank you this morning for those whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life who will celebrate with for all eternity. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who gave their life this morning? We thank you. I'm going to invite our ushers to come up and just begin to hand out communion. This is the last thing we're going to do together. I think the greatest response to understanding the scarlet thread of all history is to receive communion because Jesus came as the spotless lamb. And on the night there would be the 14th day that they would sacrifice the lamb. He met with his disciples. Thank you. He met with his disciples and he gave them communion as a sacrament. And communion and baptism are the two sacraments that have been uh, received by the church since the beginning, since its inception. And so Jesus brought the bread and then praying he lifted it and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you and I love that as we remember as as you just hold the bread here for a second you just remember the body of Christ that was broken and beaten that he wasn't symbolically broken and beaten he was literally broken and beaten that God who could have bypassed all of it stepped into it that God did not bypass suffering that God did not bypass mess and so he will not bypass yours. And that his body was broken for you. And then he took the blood. We'll receive all this in a moment. It's just still being passed. But he took the blood and he held it saying, this is my blood, which is a new covenant. See, they would have understood blood because they understood Passover. It was a sign that death passed over them on the night of the final plague. And so for 1,500 years, they would take this and remember the blood that was paid and shed for them. And Jesus says, now I'm making a new covenant that's no longer by the law, but by mercy that my blood covers, that when God looks at you, he does not see your sin and shame. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? So let's do this. If you're with me in this place, would you just grab a hold of the bread? I want to pray over each element and then we'll receive immediately following. Lord God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for the price that was paid for us. And God, we remember that you came and that you died upon the cross. Let's receive the blood or the uh, bread together. Jesus, we thank you for the cup. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. God, that it wasn't just your death, but your resurrection that we have received new life. And God, if anyone is in Christ, like your scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. For I have been crucified with Christ. Your word says I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. For the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Together we receive of the cup. Amen. If the Lord's good, can we say amen? Amen.